Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast brought to you by your party station Z89. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, joined as always by Arjun. We are, this is episode 13, episode 13, part two. We're grinding away here. And another team that is grinding away is our beloved Arsenal, where we have been covering the matches this past week. We played both Manchester United and we played Wolverhampton Wanderers. It was an interesting couple matches, two very, very distinct scorelines that uh, could be seen in a lot of different lights uh, with how the results ended up compared to what they should have ended up as. Arjun, break down the first match against Manchester United, the matchup we were all waiting for. Break it down for me. What happened in the match? Well, the final score was nil-nil, and I think Arsenal got lucky to get away with a point. And by the end of the match, I think we were both sharing the sentiment that we were happy to get a point away from this because we had been playing well, you know, up in the, in the lead up to this match, it was a great setup and United had just lost to Sheffield. You know, the team that is rock bottom in the Premier League, they, you know, had one of the worst starts in Premier League history and United lost to Sheffield in Old Trafford. So we, we were like, the momentum's on our side. We're going to go into this confident. We both predicted draws in this one. But we said we, were, we wouldn't be surprised if we came away with the win because of how we were playing and how United were playing. But the important part is, you know, United are, you know, second in the table right now. And they were second in the table when they played us. And they had a chance to go top, but they couldn't do it. They probably should have. They played a better match. Cavani had a lot of really good chances for United. But the good part is our defense stayed strong. The bad part is, we didn't really show that much creativity. I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe probably had one of the, you know, one of his less impressive performances. He still played well, but, you know, Martinelli started as well, Pepe on the right, and, you know, the Thomas Jaka pivot. So the lineup was good. It was a good lineup from um, Mikel Arteta. But the problem was we just couldn't get anything going. I mean, Aubameyang missed the game because of personal reasons. And even Martin Odegaard made his debut for the last 15, 10, 15 minutes of the game, but he really didn't get many touches. So we would like to see him play a little bit more. But, you know, the thing for me is it, we were lucky to come away with the point. And, you know, we'll be grateful for that, obviously. When last week when we recorded our episode, we, you know, predicted the, the scores for the Southampton and the United match. And I think we both said we'd be happy if we came away with four points. And we did. But, you know, the, the issues still remain in attack. Martinelli came off at halftime for Willian. And that sort of, you know, confused everybody. Because, you know, we were like, oh, maybe Martinelli's got an injury. Uh, Willian's got to come on and replace him. But the issue was we don't want Willian to be that option. And we never wanted him to be the option. He, granted, he honestly didn't have a terrible game. But he missed pretty good chance, you know, 10 minutes after coming on. And then from there, he really didn't impose his mark on the game. At least he didn't negatively affect us, but he didn't positively affect us either. I mean, the United game, it's, it was a standard nil-nil. Both teams had some chances, but United really should have won the game. And we got lucky that they didn't. The good part is, you know, we, we took away positives from that game and, you know, went into Wolves positive in that first half. And, you know, I'll just let you take it. Yeah, and the Wolves match was a very different match from the United one. We, in the this Wolves match, were very clearly the better side. 
that there was at no point in the match that I said we were the worst side. No point in that match. The entire 90 plus minutes, I said we were the better side. Better team, better players, better everything. We played better. We played really well in that first half. That the first half was something of a, uh, of intrigue is how I'll put that. That there was a lot of this and that and kind of it started off really strong. That's It started off real strong. We had two soccer chances in four minutes. The first one, he was through within 20 seconds and he hit the post with his outside of his left boot and it was it went wide and then it went out. And then four minutes later, he gets another chance and he gets in on goal. Patricio saves it. Okay. And then another one at the nine minute mark where he scored a goal, but Lacazette was offsides on the header back to him. And it was a really clean strike. It looked great. It's a great start. And then Wolves got back into the match and then they got some chances and it looked like, Oh, this doesn't look very good. We're kind of going back and forth now. And Wolves got more into the match as they went. And then 32 minutes hits and Nicholas Pepe, absolutely one of the best goals of the season for us. He nutmegs two players He nutmegs both Nelson Semedo and Ruben Neves. And then he curls it with his weak foot from the left side of the box Curls it right-footed to the top corner, past Patricio for the goal. And at that point, it's like, okay, we deserved the goal. It was going to happen. It was coming. We all knew it was going to happen at some point, right? This is good. This is great. We love to see it. And the next 10 minutes or so, we we kept the pressure on. It looked good. We were going into halftime, looking fine. And then 47 minutes comes. 45 from the second minute of stoppage time. There was two minutes added. It was just as it was happening, as that second minute was coming down. The ball is played through to Willian Jose, the new striker for Wolves, who we talked about last week, his transfer. He's a good striker, looks good. He played well in this match. He's through on goal. David Luiz runs behind him and tries to get out of the way of the run by Jose. And Jose used, takes his left foot, to wind up for a strike with his right foot. He brings his left foot back farther to bring it up, to get more power on the strike. And as he does that, the his studs clip David Luiz's knee. They clip his knee. William Jose feels the contact and goes down. The ref, Michael Oliver, I believe, gives the penalty. Craig Pawson. Craig Pawson. Craig, it was Craig Pawson. Yep. Gives the penalty. The penalty is awarded. VAR checks it, and VAR is like, yep, penalty. And it's a red card. The reason it is a red card and we're going to get into this right now before we do the rest of this match. Yep. The reason this is a red card, and it was explained on Twitter to myself and to everyone that was angry about it, is that the difference in that situation is if the player goes for the ball and plays the ball and gets the man, it is a yellow card. But if they get the man and don't get close to the ball, like in this case, it is a red card. It is a rules issue, not a he's giving a red card because he wants to. It is due to the rules and the fact that he did not go towards the ball and he went try to get around Julian Jose and he clipped him. It was considered not playing the ball and playing the man instead, which is the red card. And I, trust me, I do not like this rule. I know you don't like this. It is dumb. It is stupid. And there is a lot we're going to discuss about this in a little bit, but that is the reason it was a red card. We will talk about the specific ruling of it after we talk about the rest of the match. 
I just wanted to get that in now so people understand what happens. So the penalty is taken by Ruben Neves, slotted in the top corner. A great penalty, by the way. Like, shout out Ruben Neves. I love him. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the Prem. That's not on Arsenal. And it was a beautiful penalty. Strokes it in the top corner. It's 1-1 going into halftime. And for 45 minutes, we looked the better side. There was, like, Wolves were pressing. They looked decent. They couldn't string a lot together going forward. They got the chance here or there, especially off of corners and free kicks and set pieces of any kind. And we looked better. We were passing the ball well. Thomas Partey was having the game of his life. He has This is clearly his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. He was passing the ball well. He was the one who set Saka through like 10 times. He was breaking up play. He was doing everything he had to do right. He was in the right spots. Him and Jacob were switching well. It looked amazing. There was no issue anywhere on the pitch. And then this happens. And it's the, oh no, we're arsenaling it again. We are banter up seeing this again. That we're doing great. We were one nil up. We should be like seven nil up because of Saka. And then this happens. And it's like a, oh no, not good. So we go down, it's tied 1-1. We go into the second half. We sub off Lacazette for Gabriel because he didn't start. And Lacazette's taken off because we need one more defender and one less forward. And it's like, okay, Gabriel's on. That's cool. Five minutes into the half, Joel Moutinho from 30 yards out hits a beautiful strike. He hits the ball from 30 yards out, wonderfully past Burnt Leno into the top corner. There isn't much more you can say about it, that he just, he rifled the ball. It was a perfect strike. He hit it in the right spot where Leno couldn't get to it, diving to his right. It was it was he got Leonard going to his left and it was it was beautiful. I credit to Joao Moutinho, great strike. Leno was beaten. And at that point, everyone tweeted out, I believe we even tweeted out saying it's gonna be one of those days. I know I texted you about it and I said it's one of those matches. It's yep. gonna happen. It's everything's gonna go against Arsenal when we think it's gonna go right for us. So then immediately after this happens, Pepe is subbed off, Obamiang subbed on, and it's like, okay, Pepe was playing really well, but Alba's our main striker. We can change the formation around. Maybe get something going. Who knows? We have a good run of form a little bit, you know, back and forth. 73rd minute comes. There is a through ball played by one of the Wolves players, a nice bouncer. And Leno comes out to clear it. And he misjudges it. And he basically volleyball spikes it out with his right arm. And it's a red card because it was denial of a goal-scoring opportunity for Adama Traore, who was the man through on goal. And he's sent off. He was sent off. So now we're down to nine men with about 15 minutes left. And at this point, it's like, oh, great. It's happened. We, we played really well. We were looking like we could get a goal back finally, make it 2-2, maybe go for the winner. And then Leno happens. And now he's out for three matches. So now we have Runa Runnerson and Matt Ryan. As our two, I think I, I think I saw somewhere today that Leno's ban would only be a one match ban. I think um, Opta Joe's um, Arsenal affiliate tweeted that it would only be a one match ban, and well, I think Louise's is also only a one match ban. Louise's, it might be a one but match ban. No, Arsenal might be, but I mean, we we can we can talk about the pen now because I mean the game finished two one. Nothing much yeah. happened after the game Leno's. finished after that game finished two one. Nothing else happened. It was kind of. But, I mean, I do want to talk about Louise's penalty because, I mean, it is I, – I concede that, you know, the red card was for 
or a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity because William Jose was clean through on net. And there's no reason for him to dive there because, you know, if he doesn't dive, he gets a shot on goal. And, you know, strikers aren't going to pass that up. But the issue is the contact was so minimal, so minimal that, you know, even on a VAR check, it's really hard to see where the contact even was. So, I mean, I'm not going to, there was contact, just by the way, there was, William Jose did not dive, but it's really harsh that that's a straight red. It's extremely harsh. You can give the penalty and you can maybe like maybe give a yellow card. I understand that's not the rule, but it's extremely harsh. And the fact it happened 10 seconds before the half was supposed to end, I mean, it, it changed the entire complexion of the game as we saw. I didn't catch the first half. I was traveling. I was able to catch the match after Moutinho scored. So I saw everything after the final goal was scored. But from everything I saw, it was our best half of the season, the first half, because we were creating chances, playing extremely well. And the fact that one little refereeing decision can change the course of a game so heavily, so heavily, it's just something has to be done. I mean, the rule is poor, but I mean, the fact that it was, you know, reviewed on VAR and still a judge to be a straight red, you know, he didn't mean to do it. I mean, it's very obvious he didn't mean to. He didn't stick out a leg to. And I, I don't know. It, it just seems extremely harsh to me that that was, you know, it, whether it was a, you know, a correct decision based on the rule or if it was, you know, a snap decision by Craig Pawson to do so. Either way, it's, you know, it's out of the control of the players at that point. You know, Arsenal played a fantastic half and, you know, would have continued to do so in the second half. I have no doubt because, you know, one, one goal against Wolves isn't enough, as we saw. So, yeah, I, I got into a debate. I was the person, for anyone wondering why all, there, all of a sudden there was a lot of replying going on on Twitter, it was me doing it because um, I felt very passionate about this and I needed to just vent a little bit. And there was a good debate going on on Twitter about what the issue was with the red card. And that uh, if the example was brought up, if this happened to us, that if it was flipped and say it was a bombing or Lacazette or somebody, and they were through on goal and someone did that to us, we'd be like penalty, 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 which I mean, you're not wrong that we would say that. And I think it is a penalty. It it's dumb. It's, it has to be a penalty because there was. Oh, I definitely, I definitely do yeah. think it's a penalty, but it's a straight penalty. red, a straight red. And this is where the idea of the triple and double jeopardy rules come in play. That both rules are considered to be the biggest talking points when it comes to this debacle. That's what we'll call it the debacle. That's the best way to say it. That the idea of double and triple jeopardy is you you get a second look from VAR to see if uh, the deny it was a goal. So triple jeopardy rule, the former one used to be the rule is meant that a player who denied a goal scoring opportunity was automatically red carded and handed a suspension as well as giving away the penalty. But the rules were changed in 2016. I don't know what they are now. You're going to quote me on this in a second. They were changed in 2016. So that the law, um, the player committing accidental fouls that deny a goal scoring opportunity are not automatically sent off, but cautioned instead. So only yellow card. The issue here is in the writing. It's in the words. 
that the idea of what accidental, an accidental foul is, is a big issue. And the kind of summary of it and what myself and these two other fans uh, came to the conclusion of is that accidental is when you make an attempt at a tackle. Accidental foul isn't what happened. That it wasn't an accidental foul. It was accidental contact. That the rules state as an accidental foul if that happens, not accidental contact. That's the, it's, it is a very minute difference in what each means, but it's a difference nonetheless. That if say you are standing there and the ball is, you're, you're in the box and a cross is hit in and your arms next to your chest and it hits your arm and it's, it would be awarded as a, a, um, a penalty for handball that if your arm is extended outwards, that would be considered an accidental foul. But if your arm is on your, in your side or like into you, it's an accidental contact. That's the difference that I'm trying to make. And that people didn't get what that difference was. And they were saying, oh, it shouldn't have been a red card because of this. No, the rules do not state what the exact definition of accidental is. That there's nowhere they state an accidental foul is when this happens. They should give an example of it because in this case, it is accidental contact. And I know all of your listeners are going to be really confused by what I'm saying, but I will summarize it for you this way. David Luiz made accidental contact with Julian Jose. Because of that, it should have been a yellow card. But because the rules don't state that, it was considered accidental, which the rules only state that, state that as an accidental foul, which is why it was given as a red card. The rules stipulate that's that, 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 that is how that works said that a lot of times in that sentence and I will not say it again. And it causes a lot of issue and it causes a lot of kind of discussion because it's stupid, it's dumb. That there's gotta be a clearer guideline here. Again, we've talked about it a lot on our Saints episodes about rules because we know better than anyone else, rules are stupid and they need to be changed to fix language. There is, it is written in laws everywhere. They have to get the language exact to not leave any loopholes or any gray areas. This is as big of a gray area as it gets because if this happens, this is the result of it. If it happens the other way around, if it's an accidental contact, they could say, oh, but it, was a, it wasn't a foul or whatever. It, there's so much of a gray area here that it caused this to happen and it finally got exposed of like, rules need to be changed, they need to be fixed. That is the end of my TED talk. Thank you for coming to this TED talk. <laughs> So my, my issue with this is that under the FA rules, I mean, when you said it earlier, if Louise had made a play for the ball and um, if he, you know, made a slide tackle on Willian Jose and made a play for the ball and didn't get the ball, took down Willian Jose, it, he would have been cautioned. That's what the rules say. If there's a denial of a goal scoring opportunity and the, the, the player who commits the foul attempts to play the ball, it's a yellow. But in all other circumstances, the rule says this, in all other circumstances, holding, pulling, pushing, no possibility to play the ball, et cetera. And so David Luiz's, you know, foul would have fell under, et cetera, because it, it doesn't qualify for any of the others. The player must be sent off. So if David Luiz makes a slide tackle, it's a yellow. If David Luiz runs behind Willian Jose and his knee happens to clip his studs, he's sent for straight red. That's what the issue is. That's, that's where the issue lies. It's a very dumb rule for one, because 
I mean, if he makes the slide tackle and misses him, it's a yellow. If he does what he does and, you know, tries to get out of Julian Jose's way, runs behind him and gets the slightest of contact, he's sent straight off and the entire complexion of the game changes. The entire complexion of the game changed because, you know, coming out for the second half, the, the penalty was the last kick of the first half. Coming out for the second half, Arsenal were completely caught off guard. They were extremely, extremely complacent. They were sitting back, you know, down to 10 men. It has happened a lot this season, you know, against Leeds, against Burnley, we've gone down to 10 men and we've had to have everyone behind the ball. That's how Moutinho scored five minutes into the second half. That, you know, the entire strategy changes. You know, you, you're playing with 10 men. You're playing with, you know, there's always going to be a player open for Wolves. So, I mean, that's where the issue lies, that the, the, rule, is, the rule is too ambiguous. I mean, VAR has, you know, thrown a complete spanner into the works that, you know, it's, it's just everything is so gray with all of this. We've seen it with offsides. We've seen it with handball. We've seen it with this. It's just an issue with Premier League officiating. I mean, we both feel frustrated by this because it's the correct call, but it's extremely harsh. It's extremely harsh on us. And, you know, I mean, if this happens to, you know, Liverpool or Manchester United, you know, people will be up in arms. Happened to us, so, you know, nothing happens. But... You know, I mean, pivoting away, I do want to talk about, you know, a couple, one negative thing from this match before getting into some of the positives. Besides Burnt Leno being sent off, another one? Yeah, no, I, I'm going to, I was just about to mention that. I mean, that was. It was dumb. That was perplexing. I mean, once that happened, um, once that happened, I, you know, I was telling you, it's, you know, I'm not even upset at this point. That's just hilariously stupid. Like, I mean, if you watch the clip, he comes out, he misjudges it. I mean, he was probably correct to come out and sweep that. He was probably correct to do so, but he misjudges it. And instead of trying to, you know, head it out of bounds or, you know, chest it down and clear it, he just smacks it with his right arm out of play. I mean, it's just, it's just, Bart Leno has been so good for us. So, so good. He made some incredible saves in the United match to keep us in the game. I, I honestly thought Leno was our man of the match against United. But, you know, just a freak incident, and now we're one game without him. It's just, yeah. I mean, I, we both said it. I mean, it, we, we arsenaled it. We arsenaled this performance. I mean, we should have beat Wolves. Wolves were clearly not the better side. They were able to muster one goal when, I mean, two goals when they were down to 10 men, when we were down to 10 men. And, you know, we had a couple chances on the counter as well in the second half. It's not like we couldn't have equalized it. We were the better team, and that is the positive of it. I mean, I, I mean, if you want to speak on your thoughts on the Leno thing before I get into a couple, you know, more optimistic things that I saw on this one. Yeah, I, I so Leno came out, clearly he was like, he sprints it out as one does when you're trying to sweep or keep it, but he came out guns a-blazing. He came out running like there was no tomorrow. And as soon as he did that, he took a straight line on it. He didn't wait to see where the ball was being played. The ball was curling in towards the net. That if he had played a better line, more inside, no issues. But he misjudged it and then realized, oh, I misjudged it. I'm not going to chuck my body in front of this to chest it down. I'm going to use my arm to just stop it. 
And the issue is that if he doesn't hit it with his arm, it is going to very much so go through and Adama Traore has an open net and he's not missing an open net. I'm sorry. So he has, he had one of two options, either a lay my body out or B use my arm. And he chose the dumber option, <laughs> use his arm and decided, you know what? I'm feeling like my arm is a baseball bat today. I'm going to just hit it as hard as I can. And he did. And as soon as he hit it, he sat there on his knees and started laughing to himself. And you know who else laughed? I did. I sat there and <laughs> laughed and was like, as you said, Arjun, we arsenaled this performance. This is the most arsenaling of Arsenal performances I've seen an Arsenal team do. That was a lot of arsenals, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Very much so know what I mean. This I mean, I do. Just, ah, it encapsulated what happened in the match. That it was like, we played so well. We did so much. And then one dumb thing that it was out of our control for the most part caused us to go sideways. I, it was, it was tough. It was really tough watching that because again, we had played really well and then Louise gets sent off and then Leno gets sent off. And it's just like the last 15 minutes, the side just looked tired. They were like, we don't know what to do. Like we've done everything we can. Runnerson made some great saves. He also made some dumb errors in the last 15 minutes that I don't know what feel about him playing. Because if Matt Ryan wasn't available for this match, if Runnerson plays, I don't know how I feel because, man, he is a mixed bag of emotions. That's just every Arsenal player ever in the last 10 years for us is a mixed bag of emotions. Mesut Ozil, Francis Coquelin, uh, Jack Wilshere, a mixed bag of emotions. Okay? I, I'm hurting. I'm really hurting. I We finally, we've looked good. We had a good nine-match unbeaten streak. We looked great. We played well. We had gotten draws. We had gotten wins when we needed them. And then this happens. And it's the biggest reality check you can have. That it's like, oh, haha, you should have won this match, but you didn't. Deal with it later, my guy. Deal with it later. And, I mean, you're going to touch on it in a minute. There was a lot of positives to take out of this match. Saka came back from his hip injury. And, man, did he play well. Thomas Partey. Looked like a Rolls Royce on the pitch. He was looking like a Rolls Royce, and everyone else was like Kia. No disrespect to Kia as a car brand, but man, he looked so much better than everyone else on the pitch. I texted it to you. He was a different caliber of player on that pitch. He was a different level. The passes he was making, the choices he was making. I'm gonna keep rhyming today. He really, the things he did in that first half were so insanely well done that there was no debating how good of a player he was like that match alone convinces everyone why we signed him. Because if he can do that pass to Saka within the first 20 seconds of a match, and it's, I have not seen a better through ball since Messi like two or three years ago, that was as good of a through ball as it physically gets. It was up in the air. It bounced perfectly for Saka to take it down on one touch and then fire it in on net. He took a slightly bad touch and had to use his outside of the foot to get it towards the corner. And he hit the hit the post. It was as perfect a through ball as it gets. Like, I don't know how he could have played that any better than he did. He's so good. And I am so excited to see him play more with hopefully a full team. When David Luiz comes back and starts on the bench because I want Gabriel to play. And when <laughs> Leno comes back because not Runnerson. Okay? I'm just tired. <laughs> and I mean the most Arsenal thing about this is that we should have been 3-0 up by the half anyway. 
And I mean, if you go three nil up and, you know, you go down to 10 men with that same situation, oh, it's three, one and down to 10 men defense can hold them off. Wolves did not play well. I mean, that's the most arsenal thing about this is that we missed chances and ended up regretting it. But for positives, Nico Pepe down the left-hand side looks incredible right now. Oh, he played really, a really, he played a really, really good game against Southampton. He went back to the right-hand side against uh, United and uh, back to the left uh, against Wolves. And he scored the absolute worldly and just had an out, uh, you know, an overall really good performance. Pepe on the left is an option because Saka on the right has been, has been, you know, world-class. He's been amazing. For, for a 19 year old to be, you know, so versatile playing left wing, right wing in the middle, he's really found his niche on that right-hand side, which is good for Pepe because he's finding his groove on the left. You know, after so long, Pepe hasn't really been able to make his mark on the right, you know, cutting inside. But now he's able to do that on the left-hand side, imposing himself on a game, drifting inside. I, I am really excited to see what Pepe can do on the left. But the thing is, you know, we've got so many options out there. And that's what I was going to talk about. That's what I was going to talk about is I just wrote this out really quickly. We have two players for each of the cam wingers and striker up front. You have Alba and Laka on the wings. You have Gabrielle and Pepe on the left, Saka and Reese Nelson on the right, Martin Odegaard and Emil Smith are in the middle at cam. That's really good to have. We have two deep at each position plus everyone else that we have in the team. I'm not going to include he, he who shall not be named, Mr. Afro himself. I'm not going to include him. He doesn't deserve to be included because I he's bad. But outside of him, we have two people per position. That's really nice for squad rotation, even though we really don't need it because we only have the Europa League and the Prem. So we can rotate our squad. We don't have to, but we can. That's really nice because, again, in the 60th minute, we can say, you know what? Smith Rowe's giving it for 60 minutes. We're going to bring on Odegaard, give him 30 minutes to go find us a goal. Or, oh, Alba is tired. We're going to bring on Laka. Laka, you go in, get us a goal. Reese Nelson, get us a goal. Pepe, get us a goal. Martinelli, get us a goal. There are so many players that can do this for us now. This is so strange. I am not used to having this. I'm used to having Oxlade Chamberlain on the right, on the left, and at cam, and no one else being able to play at either position. So this is a real change of pace, having depth everywhere. It is a good problem to have. And I mean, the other thing I wanted to touch on was including, you know, our depth, you know, Pepe, Martinelli, Aubameyang on the left, Aubameyang even up top with Lacazette, and Saka and Pepe on the right, Smith, Rowe, and Odegaard in the middle. Odegaard also didn't feature against Wolves because he really didn't need to. But we're, we're both hoping that we'll see Odegaard in a starting role sometime soon. But the really, the thing to really watch with Thomas Partey is, you know, the partnership he's forming with Jaka, because them as a pivot are beginning to develop an understanding and they're beginning to really understand how both of them are playing together. And they've been lights out. They've been fantastic as a midfield pivot, you know, bringing the ball forward as well as making those passes like, you know, Partey has done. But, you know, Partey's energy has also made Jaka, you know, make more forward passes. We've both criticized Jaka for being, you know, a sideways pass merchant. Like, that's all he can do. That all is- he does is, I mean, just play the ball sideways or, you know, stop a counterattack and turn around and play it to the center back. 
Thomas is imposing his energy onto his midfield partner, which is so good to see because, I mean, Jaka has been playing really well recently and that's, it's not a coincidence. It's because he's got Thomas Partey alongside him. So that'll be something to watch for going forward uh, in our, in our upcoming fixtures. And with, last if, thing, if they keep Jaka and Thomas together. Yes. And the last thing also is Tyrion Tierney has been out for the last few matches because of, yes, he hopefully mm-hmm. will feature in the next match uh, against Aston Villa. That is the hope fingers crossed, but Cedric has played really well at left back. And I know, I have been one to criticize Hector Bellerin a lot on this podcast and I will continue to do so because in both of these matches, he had multiple passes. He just made that were nowhere and to nobody. And it was like, where is he this ball going? And Cedric has played really well on the left. I think Cedric deserves to start over Bellerin. Like in the past, it has been us saying Cedric should start because Bellerin sucks. Now it's us saying Cedric should start because he deserves it, that he's played better <laughs> and he's, given it he he looks really good he looks like a very competent wing back for us both right i mean the 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 last time he played on the right hand side uh was against southampton if i am not mistaken against his old against his old club uh and that was the game pardon me it was in the fa cup maybe it was the fa cup match and i don't think he played he played really well in that match no last time he played on the right was against newcastle our 3-0 win over Newcastle in the Premier League. And he, he we both praised that performance because Carantini was on the left side and uh, Cedric got the start over Bellerin. And since then, Tierney hasn't been able to play. Cedric has been filling in form on the left. And, uh, I mean, a, a right-footed player playing left back or a left-footed player playing right back is extremely difficult. It's next to near impossible to do. I mean, teams never, ever do that. I mean, you'll never see a top team playing a right-footed player at left back or vice versa. And Cedric has done really, really well in that position. And just on those merits, just that he's been able to do it on the left side, he deserves to get the start over Bellerin from now on. When when Tierney is starting on the left-hand side, Cedric deserves to get the start over Bellerin as of now. And I mean, if, if, if his run of form dips, you can put Bellerin back in the team. That's our option. But as of right now, Cedric deserves to be our starting right back. And the other part of that is that moving into transfer news, we have one less player who can play right back. Ainsley Maitland-Niles left on loan for West Brom on transfer deadline day. So now we do have one less option at right back, which makes it a little less crowded for him to get the game time he deserves right now. That I, again, we're both fans of Maitland-Niles, but he gets to go out on loan and prove himself as a starter most likely. And Cedric can now really take over this spot at right back because Bellerin should be sold for whatever we can get for him, which will be more than Mustafi and more than everyone else. And on that note, Skojan Mustafi's contract was officially terminated at Arsenal. 35 million euros, if I'm not mistaken, down the drain for a player who scored some goals for us, but also allowed a lot of goals for us. A lot, a lot of goals. And, and I mean, the, the contracts we've terminated this transfer window, Mustafi, Socrates, Ozil. I mean, that's just getting so much dead weight that we, we talked about this on our transfer special. We need to get rid of these players. And it ended up happening. I didn't think that we'd go through with everyone that we wanted to have either loaned or sold. It, it really, 
you know, it, it was a good window for us. And I believe we didn't need to bring in, we didn't need to bring in everybody. We, we yeah. only brought in Odegaard. And I will say, and, and Matty Ryan. And Matty Ryan. And the total, I believe we lo- we got rid of this window, either through loaning them or terminating contracts, I believe totaled around 750,000 euros a week, which is On a salary. lot. Yep. That's mm-hmm. not as much as Messi makes, which we'll talk about later. But <laughs> it w- that, that's a lot of money. That is a mm-hmm. lot of money to free up. We freed up 750K a week. That, that saves a lot of money and makes it more likely that in the future, in this summer, Mikel Arteta will have more money to spend because now we don't have the dead weight on our books. Mm-hmm. Yes, they had to, to deal with like terminating their contracts. They had to pay out a certain amount of money, but they did it because it was the right thing to do and the smart thing to do because now there is no Mustafi. There is no Socrates. That means... Players like Holding, like Gabrielle can play. Even Mavropanos, if he comes back, can play. That it gives us options and gives us a little more wiggle room with who we have where. And now we can actually go out and sign players because we have money and we have the wage to do it. This is a revelation for Arsenal. It took them how many years to get rid of these players? Like all of their contract, basically? Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it, the, uh, most of these players that we let go were signed at the end of the Wenger era. And I mean, that is one, you know, lasting imprint that he left is, you know, the signing of Mustafi, the signing of Kolasinac, the, you know, I mean, just all of those getting rid of that. Plus, uh, I don't know if you mentioned Joe Willock going to Newcastle. I mean, that's, that's something else that, you know, we, we talk about is that, you know, Joe Willock, we've seen it is that he's had good sparks playing, playing for Arsenal, but recently he'll get his minutes and he just won't do anything. He'll impose nothing. He will provide, you know, nothing for us. Him going to Newcastle will be good for him. As, you know, we saw Emil Smith-Rowe going on loan, getting his chance at Huddersfield. Obviously, Newcastle are a bigger club than Huddersfield. He may not get as many opportunities to play, but he'll get more chances to play with us, um, with Newcastle. As Odegaard will get more chances to play with us. As Smith-Rowe will get more chances to play with us. So... I mean, good window. I, I am happy with what we were able to do, getting Odegaard on loan and, you know, maybe going out this summer and buying, you know, a permanent, you know, fixture in that midfield, whether, whether it is Odegaard, because we have good terms with them, whether it's our, whether, you know, we, we'll cover that, but and we now have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I want to hear what your grade is in the window. I personally am given, give this an A minus grade for a window that I think, the main thing is we had to clear out contracts. That was the main priority for us. I think the only reason I don't give it better than an A minus is because we didn't get anything back for the players. Like, obviously I would have wanted something back for them. And that a lot of people are taking note of, as I said, we signed Mustafi for like 35 million and these players, the prices were going up and up and up. And right now prices were going down. We're going to see players move for a lot less money because teams don't have the money due to the virus. So if we were going to get anything, literally I would have taken any amount of money for these players. Any sum of money would have been good for me. Didn't care what it was. Five million, six million, whatever Papu Gomez went to Sevilla for, I would have taken that. And we didn't get anything, which is why I gave it only an A minus. We got rid of players on loan or terminated contracts that get them game time. Ozil and Mustafi and Kolasinac and Socrates will be gone 
and we got Willock and Maitland Niles get game time. Reese Nelson was rumored to be leaving for Valencia. He didn't end up doing that, which I think is good for us because it gives us one more attacking option in case of injury. Because again, as we see with Tierney, we need another left back. But that is the only other thing I can think of, which is the only reason I also give it an A minus is because if we got a left back on loan, like we did Matt Ryan at goalkeeper, perfect, perfect window, ideal. So I give it an A minus, a nice 91 out of 100. Let me hear your grade on the window. I'm going to go a little lower. I'm going to give it, um, you know, sort of between a B and a B plus, because I mean, like you said, every, for every reason you said, except you know, I, I put a little bit more weight on the fact that we had to terminate these contracts to get the deals done. Plus, left back is a big need for us right now. Especially, you know, the the reason we signed Cedric was, you know, to be, you know, a companion to Bellerin. We needed to do that same thing for Tierney, and we weren't able to do it. And now we don't have any options at left back besides Kieran Tierney. And he's shown that he is a workhorse. He will put 110% of his energy into a game for you. And that means he can't play every game. He can't play every single game, which is why we needed a left back. And that was our most glaring need. And we didn't fill it. So I'll give it between a B and a B plus. I'm happy that we were able to do the clear out that we were able to. And of course, getting Odegaard on loan is a, is a yeah. very nice touch. But, you know, the, the left back issue still remains because you can't play a right back. You can't play a natural right-footed right back at left back consistently and expect to have your defense play like we are right now. It's, it's a fluke run of games that we're able to defend so well with Cedric at left back. It's not sustainable. And we'll see if Tierney can stay healthy. We hope he can because he's been amazing for us. But just with the way he plays, he's not going to be able to play every game. You have to rest him at some point. So that's my final verdict on our window. Still happy with it, but could have been better. Yeah. And overall, very positive that the main goal of this window was to clean out contracts, and that goal was accomplished, realistically. But did we go about it the best way? Not really, but we got rid of the players that we needed to clear out. We got rid of the dead weight. Maybe too much dead weight. Like, it would have been nice to have Kolasinac, even though he is poor at left back for us. Would have been nice to have at least somebody there. But we will take it. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the other games this past week in the Premier League. Uh, the big one for me was the shellacking May United gave Southampton. A Southampton team that has taken a dip in form recently. And May United shellacked them 9-0. The second 9-0 loss Southampton have suffered in the past year or so. Which is crazy. 9-0 twice and they were down also like we were to nine men and i mean southampton when they lost to leicester last year nine nil they were a markedly worse side than they were now southampton are a very quality team and to lose i mean united's recent results have been so weird because we recorded our last episode on tuesday january 26th right after arsenal beat southampton 3-1 the day after that Sheffield United beat Manchester United 2-1 in Old Trafford, which for me is easily the biggest upset of the season because Sheffield United were on track to have the worst Premier League season in history before they beat Newcastle a couple weeks ago and before beating United now. They're not a good side. And United, the fact that they you know, gave up two goals 
The second goal especially was just horrendous defending. And then they go and they draw to us. And then they turn around and they beat Southampton 9-0. I mean, that's just the most inconsistent week that any Premier League side has probably ever had. To lose to one of the worst Premier League teams that we've seen in recent memory and then beat a really good side 9-0. So United's week has been crazy. But another week that has been crazy is Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool, they, uh, we covered it on our last episode. They lost to Burnley. I said specifically that, you know, Liverpool don't have the depth to defend the title this year. They've shown that from their injuries. But they were able, real quick, going back to transfer news, they were able to sign two center backs, you know, sort of to fill the gaps that their center backs have held. They don't have Van Dyke. They don't have good Joe Gomez. They don't have Joel Matip. Those are the three best center backs. They were able to sign Ozan Kabak and um, Preston North End's Ben Davies. So those will be two holes that they fill. But they lost to Burnley at home after not losing at home for three and a half years. And then they put in a good performance. They beat Tottenham 3-1. But then today, they lose to Brighton at home again. Two straight losses at Anfield after not losing there for three and a half years. And I mean, it begs the question, what's going on at Liverpool? I mean, they, the match against Burnley, they played a better match. They played pretty well against Burnley. They just could not get the ball in the back of the net. Today against Brighton, Brighton probably should have had more than one goal. They had a couple really good chances. And notably, Allison wasn't in net today. It was their backup goalkeeper, Kelleher. So, I mean, it, it really, Liverpool have also had a very, very odd week. Yeah, they've had an odd week and quickly. I'm just going to say just really quick with this loss, I think Liverpool are out of the title race. I mean, they're they're seven points back of Manchester City, who are currently in first place and City have a game in hand. Their next game, uh, City's next game. Let me pull it up really quick. City's next game is is, Sunday against Liverpool. (laughs) Yep. Sunday against Liverpool. So that is a gargantuan game for Liverpool. If they drop any points in that match, they're done. They're not defending their title. They have to get all three. And, I mean, Liverpool's season has just been so, you know, injury marred. But the thing is, if City go through the same injuries, they've got a better they've got better depth. And I've said it time and time again. It's the reason why they weren't able to go invincibles last year, and it's the reason why they won't defend their title this year. And I, I want to note quickly, I'll go back to Liverpool in a second, but I'm currently looking at City's schedule for the next, for the month of February. They have Liverpool on uh, Sunday, the 7th. They have Swansea in the FA Cup on the 10th. Tottenham on the 13th on the Saturday. And then us on the 21st on the Sunday. That is not a fun run of matches for any team. <laughs> I just want to quickly say that, get that, get that out the way. And it will definitely be something to watch because, I mean, Manchester United currently are only three points back behind City. But City have a game. With a game in hand. But City have a game in hand. Leicester, five points back of City. City have a game in hand. And, I mean, Everton have two games in hand on the team above them. And, you know, they have a chance to go third if they win both of those games. So, um, another big game tomorrow will be Tottenham versus Chelsea. That's one – that's the only other game left this – uh, left in this match day before Saturday's games. So Tottenham Chelsea will be interesting too, because Tottenham coming off of a loss to Brighton and a loss to Liverpool. 
So it'll be how they bounce back. And obviously Chelsea have had their troubles, new manager, new lineups, new players. So, you know, that, that'll be one to watch too. But, yeah. you know, anything can happen as we've seen. United can lose 2-1 to Sheffield United on one day and beat Southampton 9-0 a week after. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll keep, you know, seeing, you know, how the table moves because, I mean, right now, City are the pretty clear favorites to win the title. But this run of fixtures will be very important for them, as will the City-Liverpool game, extremely important coming up on Sunday. And on Sunday, the day before that, actually, on that Saturday, switching topics, switching it right up here, is Aston Villa-Arsenal, Saturday, 7.30 a.m. We will hopefully be able to live cover this match for you. Uh, from Villa Park. We will not be at Villa Park. We are not flying to England because we are staying here due to the, the COVID pandemic, obviously. Given. That's a given. But we will be covering the game as best we can. Uh, the early match on the Saturday. Villa have had a very funky run of form. They Out of their last five matches, they've won two and drawn three with uh, a loss-win, loss-win, loss. Kind of as that sandwich there. Villa, I mean, obviously have had a very impressive season. They're currently right behind us by two points, if I'm not mistaken. They're sitting with 29 points, us with 31 points. They have a game in hand. They're, they've got two games in hand, and they're a point ahead of us. Ah, my bad. Someone else is below us. I don't know who it was. But besides the point, because I'm not smart, is that they've played really well. But they've also had a very strange run of form where you don't really know what to expect out of them that they lost to West Ham today, 3-1. They got hammered by Jesse Lingard, like absolutely shellacked by him, which is a topic I don't ever want to bring up ever again. But, you, you know, we have to. And then <laughs> they lost to Burnley, 3-2. They lost to City, 2-0, which is a City match. It is what it is. And before that, they got shellacked 4-1 against Liverpool in the FA Cup, the match we all remember as the youngster scored against Liverpool, and it was great. And they lost 2-1 to, to United before that. This is a very strange run of form for them and i don't know what to make of it and us being on also this very strange run of form where we played really well last two matches not so much don't really know what to think that it's it's a it's a toss-up that last time we played them we got hammered three nil will it happen again i don't know i don't want it to happen again i hope if kieran tierney's back to play it won't happen again and if gabrielle starts finally it won't happen again but we'll see so talk to me about this match. Give me your prediction as well for what you believe the score will end up being. I mean, I was going to mention the run of form because Villa lost today to West Ham. They lost last week to Burnley, you know, and with our performance again against Wolves, it really makes this game impossible to predict. You know, anything could happen. I think it will be another wild game. Uh, and I think we'll come out of it 2-1. I think we'll win 2-1. I'm expecting Gabrielle to start because of Luis's suspension, but the real wild card here is our goalkeeper. You know, obviously, Emmy Martinez, we're, we're, you know, he's their goalkeeper. He used to be ours, and it'll be him against Runison or hopefully Matty Ryan. Hopefully, he'll be back at fitness. He, you know, when Runison came on against Wolves, I was like, where's Ryan? And then I realized, you know, he was injured. So if he's back fit, I hope it's Matty Ryan starting but that'll be the wild card and i think we'll we'll field you know the lineup that we've been fielding you know saka pepe maybe obamiang maybe lacazette 
and I think Smith Rowe will get the start. I don't think Odegaard starts this one, but I think he'll come on. I think Odegaard will get a good half an hour of play. But I'm expecting another wild game. And I think, you know, with Villa, you can expect it because they're a real wild card too. They've got some real quality in the midfield. Jack Grealish, John McGinn, and of course up top, Ollie Watkins. They've been so good all year that they can turn it on whenever they want. They haven't been able to in the last couple matches, but if they do, we should be worried. Yeah. But I, my prediction is, you know, 2-1 Arsenal. 2-1. I, I feel that. That's a good prediction. Um, I also want to touch on something that I'm currently reading on also Jack Grealish on that note. Jack Grealish uh, in 19 matches in the Prem has nine assists. Solid numbers so far. Uh, McGinn in 18 matches has four assists for them. Those are their top two assist getters so far in the Prem. For us, our top two assist getters with three assists apiece are Willian, who has not had an assist since his first match in an Arsenal jersey through 16 matches, and Emil Smith-Rowe with three in eight. Smith-Rowe is on a fine run of form right now. He is playing real well. But this shows how bad we've been, that our top assist getter is Willian, who had three on the first day he played for us. That's the only assist in the Prem. That's our top assist getter. What? How is this possible? We've been that I can't bad. believe we haven't uncovered that stat before because I remember, you know, the hat trick of assists. Obviously, we were like, oh, William played so well. It was against Fulham. But the fact that we haven't gotten someone with more than three assists, I mean, Lacazette has had the most goal contributions for us. But sheesh. Yep, not, not ideal. Not ideal, but hopefully Smith Rowe can get one more assist and make him the top assist getter. Or maybe Saka gets two. Who knows? We will have to find out. But when it comes to predictions, I have a very, very bad feeling about this match. I obviously am someone who will always want Arsenal to win. That no matter what happens, I want us to win this match. But I have a bad feeling that we're going to get the wrong end of Aston Villa this match. That I don't know what it will be for us, but we'll get the wrong end of it. I am going 2-1 Villa. Which I think is the first time in a long time one of us has predicted Arsenal to not win or draw. I think so. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, with how we've been playing, I mean, that Wolves game just really threw everything into into It threw everything chaos. into play. I think we're going to have another match. We're going to play well, but Villa's gonna, just going to beat us. And then we're going to get back to the run of form after that. And it's going to be against City. And it's going to be electric. But I think we're going to lose 2-1. I think Martinez is going to pull off some wacky saves. And it's, it's going to be one of those games where we should score more, but Martinez has has himself a game. I think it's going to happen. He, I love him as a keeper. He's played really well. Um, and I just, oh, I have a bad feeling about this. I mean, I on have. the Martinez note, actually, I mean, today against West Ham, I mean, his, the both of Lingard's goals were sort of howlers from Martinez. He didn't have a good game today. And I so think maybe we maybe we caught him in a poor run of form too. See, but maybe that, maybe he'll be willing to maybe he'll be willing to do us a favor. See, that's the hope. But also, <laughs> I have that feeling that he's going to be like, oh, I want to prove myself and prove that I'm actually a good keeper again. And he's going to pull off one of those David De Gea 17 saves in a match performances. <laughs> it could always very much so happen, and I'm scared it's going to happen. And so both of us are predicting 2-1 score lines. Arjun is taking Arsenal. I am taking Aston Villa. Obviously, I want Arsenal to win. Not a question about that. I just don't think we will this match. I think at some point we got to lose again. It's going to happen now. 
we just lost anyway against Wolves, but you know what I mean? You know, an actual loss that counts for something. Because this one didn't count for anything, no matter what we say. So that will do it from us here on the Going Going Gooner podcast. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at GGGoonerPod for all of the coverage of this Aston Villa Arsenal match, 7.30 on Saturday. It's going to be fun for us to get up for that, us East Coasters here in the United States. And that's it. We'll talk to you guys later. Check out our coverage. Make sure to check out episode 13.1, which will be coming out a day after this episode airs. It will feature a very special guest talking all things Super Bowl and sports betting odds for the the big game itself. Make sure to check that out. Check us out on Twitter at GGGunnarPod. Myself, Kyle, Arjun, my co-host. This is us signing out, guys.